Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Hebrews 12, if you'll turn tonight to Hebrews chapter 12, let me talk to you a little bit about our study tonight. Our topic for our last day's survival guide class tonight is control over a fainting heart. Over a fainting heart. A fainting heart means one is going to quit. They're going to give up. They're going to give up either on a promise of God, give up on context of what God has for them in relationship to the body of Christ, the church he has them connected with, give up on relationships that he does not desire for them to do so that are strengthening their life. There's so many things of which we deal with in this life of which the Bible tells us to faint not. And so we need to learn how to have control over a fainting heart. That's not talking about your spirit, okay? That's talking about your soul, the context of what is tied with your mind, will, and emotions that could get caught up with Obviously, what you're dealing with from an emotional perspective of allow you to want to give up or quit. In Jesus' name, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't quit, you win. That's a fact. You go through all the Bible. Go through it. Genesis to Revelation. I challenge you to read the whole Bible. And find one person who ever, 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 ever did not quit on God that did not win. If they didn't quit on God, guess what? They won. Joshua and Caleb did not quit on God. Guess what? They won. The first generation of children of Israel, they lost. You listening? But the other two of those 12 spies, they won. Why? Didn't give up on God. Even though they got hindered in entering the promised land, they got there. And I'll guarantee you, when you're standing in the promised land, you're not going to be looking back saying, boy, it sure was tough to get here. You're going to be rejoicing and thanking God. I'm there. So you got to realize that if you don't quit, you'll never be defeated as a child of God. And that's why the devil wants you to get, quote unquote, he wants you to get in a position to faint in heart. But we're going to talk about that tonight, how not to do that. Number one on your notes, one of the very first, very first signs, this is powerful, of a true Christ-like humility. Underline that. Of a Christ-like humility. One of the first signs of a true Christ-like humility is not quitting when you are rebuked. Amen. Not quitting when you're rebuked. Rebuke is a critical part and vital part of our lives as believers. Rebuke is not to make us feel bad. Rebuke is not to put us down. Uh, you know, you understand, of course, in all of Christianity, there's extremes in any aspect of any topic you pick up in the Bible. So you even take the, the topic of rebuke. If you understand it biblically, it's a great help to your life. But there's people that have carried it to extreme both ways. It's like John Osteen used to say, why is it that it seems like the body of Christ cannot just go down the middle of the road, the Bible? They always want to swing to one side or the other. You know, so one extreme would be, you know, we don't do that rebuke stuff. God's not rebuking us. He just loves us. He would never rebuke us. Wrong. It's not what the Bible says. But then the other extreme is people who say that they're rebuking you, really all they're doing is beating you up 
making you feel like a nobody. They're not telling you who you are. They're actually trying to make you feel like you're worthless and you're pretty much not worth much of anything. But both are wrong. Say both are wrong. Because guess what? You're so valuable to God. You ready for this? So let me combine the two. You're, the, the truth about what God says about it. You're so valuable to God, He will rebuke you. Amen. You're so valuable to God, He will unveil wrong in your life. Yes. He will bring correction to your life. Why? Because He loves you. Yes. And He cares about you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through verses 8. These, these verses very clearly reveal this to us. And I'll remind you, these are New Testament verses. It's not a quote of the old. These are New Testament verses. It picks up a quote from the old, but it's bringing it into the new and goes on talking about it even further. Verse 5, And you have forgotten, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to what? Circle that word, sons. See, he didn't say children. He didn't say a child. He says sons. See, you've got to distinguish in context of the Bible of different things Scripture talks about as it relates to us as individual believers. As a child of God, I become a child of God simply by doing what? Being born again. Being born again. The moment you're born again, guess what you became? <clears throat> Some of you need to wake up a little bit tonight. You'll catch up as we go along. I know you will. You'll get energized sooner or later. So as a child of God, you become a child of God by what? <clears throat> Being born again. All you got to do is ask Jesus in your heart. If you put faith in Christ, how many know there's a witness that comes inside your spirit that says, I'm now a child of God. Romans 8, not a son or daughter, a child. Now, I, don't, I really shouldn't throw in the word daughter because the word sons doesn't refer here, in most cases, to male or female. It's actually talking about being parented by. So the phrase sons here, and you, you ladies are included in this phrase, sons here means to be parented by. So think about that again as it relates this verse to us in verse 5. You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. So that includes all of us. Those who are what? Parented by God. Notice this. My son. Again, not male or female. Those that are being parented by God. Those who are allowing God to parent them. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. So <clears throat> chastening even today, for a lot of people really in this time that we live in, is kind of difficult to understand. What's that mean? It means discipline means to discipline. Do not despise the disciplining of the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about this briefly again tonight, as we always do, because there's new people that watch and people that tend to sometimes forget these things. you got to understand God does discipline us, but you also need to know how He does that. Because a lot of people take bad things that happen to them in life, and they say, God must be disciplining me. God doesn't discipline you using bad things. He doesn't, he doesn't have any bad things to discipline you with. So notice again, don't despise the disciplining of the Lord. So despise means to do what? You're thinking light of it. You're not taking it seriously. You're not really taking it to heart as something significant as to how God's wanting to help your life. Notice this. Nor, now watch this, nor be what? I want you to circle, highlight this word, discouraged. Don't lose courage. Another way to say it, don't faint in heart or don't lose heart. See, a lot of people, they lose heart when, they get, when it comes to rebuke. What are we talking about tonight? Control over a fainting heart. A lot of people, when it comes to rebuke, guess what they do? They faint in their heart. They become discouraged. What did he just tell you not to do? Nor be discouraged when, he, no, uh, when you excuse me, are rebuked by him. 
when God rebukes you, and a rebuke is an, is an acknowledgement of wrong, a revealing of wrong. When God rebukes you, you should not be discouraged by that. You ought to be grateful for it. Amen. I said you ought to be grateful. But the sad truth is a lot of Christians get very discouraged when rebuke comes. So much so that based on how that actual discouragement affects them, that fainting of heart, they literally allow the enemy to take advantage of their life and to pull them away from that actual correction. They'll pull them or to pull them away from that rebuke. Many different reasons why. But you and I, here's the focus for you and me. We are not supposed to despise, say, think little of. So we're not supposed to think little of God's correction. Why? God's discipline. Because it's important. Why would God discipline you? He does love you. But be a little more beyond that. I agree with you. That's exactly what it says here. But why? Why would he do? Why? What's the purpose? Let me ask it that way. What's the purpose of him disciplining you? What's the purpose of him rebuking you? Because you're going down the wrong direction. You're going to hurt your life. You're going to do things that are going to continue to cause further harm. And because God does love you, he's trying to get you out of that. He's trying to pull you out of the muck and mire. And that's what a lot of Christians don't get. See, when it comes to rebuke, even in a church, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. This is what you're supposed to be doing. It's what the Bible says. I don't agree with that. You are, you are, you are thinking little of the discipline of the Lord. You are therefore now, you are allowing discouragement to come. You're not, you are allowing yourself to not take courage in the correction, but to go off another route. And to do that, all you're going to do is hurt your life. Verse uh, 6, for, uh, as you've mentioned, for whom the Lord loves, he does what? So, the word chastens here, again, is the word for disciplines. Over and over, it's the same word, disciplines. Who the Lord loves, who, he, what does he do? He disciplines. Say, because God loves me, he will discipline me. Why again? Because he doesn't want me hurt in my life. Jesus, multiple times with people that he ministered to. He, he did this with a blind man. He did this with a woman caught in adultery. He, he literally said this phrase more than once. Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. That's called discipline. That's called rebuke. Why would Jesus say that? He knew they were living in sin. Are you listening? See, a lot of people today, well, oh, I don't want you dealing with my sin or this or that or whatever because after all, I'm saved by grace. Okay, yeah, you're saved by grace, but it doesn't mean it's okay to still sin because you're going to hurt your life. doesn't mean to violate your commitment in a position of leadership in the church or in a position as a believer and walk with God because if you do, you're going to hurt your life. And a lot of people today, you know, Again, out of balance. So what's the out of balance thing with dealing with sin? Well, bless God, because you're in sin. God's mad at you. And boy, I'll tell you what, he's ticked off and he's going to do this and this and this to you. Lies. Not true. God's not going to punish you. This is the great part about propitiation. God's not going to punish you for your sin. Your sin will punish you. Your sin will hurt you. You listening? God, say it, is not punishing me for my sin. If he did, he would violate the work of propitiation, which is Jesus bearing the punishment your sin deserved. But God's not going to overlook your sin and act like it's not there. He's not going to turn the other way and say, well, I don't want to offend you. 
I don't want to make you mad. I don't want to cause you to leave this church. I don't want you to cause you to leave your leadership. I don't want to cause you to walk away from me or walk away from the word. So I'm not going to say anything because I just want you to be, you know, I just want you to be happy in, in the sense of, you know, get what you want, do things the way you want. See, that's why we can't even allow, as pastors who honor God, we can't allow what we know in our heart, the Bible says, to not be preached because we're afraid somebody might get upset and run off. Because the truth is, if we don't tell you, guess what we're doing? We're violating the word, number one. Number two, God is not able, therefore, to discipline you in the way he wants. And therefore, number three, you're going to keep hurting your life. I would rather preach to my whole congregation the whole of the Bible, not, don't go, remember the balance, not beat them over the head with a word. Just reveal the truth. Help them know how to walk in it. Help them learn how to come out of the things that are hurting their life. I would much rather preach the whole truth to my church family, see some people leave, but see the others get it and see how much better their life becomes. Amen. And see the modern day preacher that doesn't want to hurt people's feelings, just wants to tickle their itching ears. They won't teach the whole Bible because they want to keep as many people in those seats as they can. Now, I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I'd like to have every seat full. But I don't want just every seat full just with people sitting here listening, going off and not applying what they've heard. What good is that? What good is that? That doesn't change their life. The gospel came to change your life. Aren't you glad? Verse 7, he says, if you'll endure this chastening. And endure doesn't mean put up with it. The, to endure chastening means that you're going to receive it as he talked about over here in verses 5 and 6. Uh, primarily verse 5. I'm going to receive it with honor. I'm not going to despise it. I'm not going to think little of it. And I'm not going to get discouraged by it. I want you to get that. So if I endure chastening, how do I endure chastening? Verse 5 again. I don't think light of it. You listening? And I also don't what? I don't get discouraged by it. Say, I should never. Come on, say it. I should never be discouraged by the discipline and the rebuke of my God. See, if you do so, you're not enduring chastening. So what's the opposite of not enduring chastening? You'll leave. You'll go find somebody else to tell you what you want. You'll go find somebody else to agree with you different than the Bible. You know, I was telling some of this the other day because a lot of Christians still don't get it. Do you realize how many believers are living, not, not in this church in Jesus' name, I pray, but do you realize how many believers are still living in idolatry? Think about it. How many Christians have you met in your life that are living in idolatry? Watch this. Watch this. Hey, man, you know you should go to church? My God wouldn't make me go to church. Guess what they're living in? Now, the honest truth is there's a partial truth to what they're saying. Your God's not going to make you do anything. But a lot of people would say it this way. Well, my God, he don't care if I go to church or not. Let me help you. My God, he don't care whether I go to church or not. What's idolatry? You've made a God to fit you. Not the one of the Bible. You think it's the one of the Bible because you're born again. But I'm going to tell you what. I don't want to live in idolatry. How about you? You know what happens if you live in idolatry? You don't receive rebuke. You don't receive correction. And therefore, your heart will faint. So notice this. If we endure this chastening, God is dealing with us again as what? As what? Circle that word, sons. And again, that's even you ladies. Because he's talking about dealing with us as those who are being fathered by him. Who are being fathered by him. He's dealing with us as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten, discipline? 
What, what son is there whom a father does not discipline? Verse 8, watch this. If you're without chastening, listen to this. If you're without this discipline of which all have become partakers. All becoming partakers means, guess what? Everybody in the body of Christ is going to get disciplined by God. Because none of us are perfected yet. There's nobody that he is overlooking to say, well, I'm not disciplining them because they're perfect. No, everybody's a partaker of God's discipline. So again, look at verse 8. If you are without this chastening, this discipline, of which all have become partakers, listen, underline it, then you're illegitimate and you're not sons. Did you hear that? You're illegitimate, illegitimate and not son. Didn't say you're not a child of God. Said you're not a son. You're not being fathered by me. So what's that mean, illegitimate? Illegitimate means I claim God is my father, but the truth is he's really not. Because if he's my father, I receive his discipline. I receive his correction. That's what a father does with their sons, those whom he fathers. And those who are sons who want to be fathered by God submit to that discipline. Well, if you're not, then what are you? What, obviously, what are you not? You're not truly a son. Therefore, you can't say I am because that is an illegitimate statement. Not true meaning. Amen? If I claim that I'm being fathered by God, but I don't receive his discipline, guess what? That's, a, that's, a, that's an untruth. That is not a true statement, which means what? That's illegitimate. All right, number one again, one of the very first signs, first signs of true Christ-like humility is not quitting, not giving up, not backing down, not walking away when you're rebuked. 1A, remember that God has given instructions to his leaders to rebuke, reprove, and instruct his people. 2 Timothy 4.2. That is the call of God on every pastor who is called by God to a flock. They are called to do what? Rebuke, reprove, to correct, to instruct, to edify through the word of God. So the primary way God's going to bring this rebuke or correction is through the teaching of the word. What is my primary job in your life as a pastor? Anybody know? What's my primary job based on the Bible? Give me a verse for it. Excuse me? Make a disciple out of you. I agree with that. Watch over your souls. I agree with that. What's my primary function, though, in context, uh, week in, week out in your life as a pastor? Huh? Declare the Word of God. Jeremiah 3.15 says it this way. I'm going to give you shepherds. You know what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to feed you with knowledge and understanding. So as we feed with knowledge and understanding, from the, which is from the Word of God, guess what's involved in that knowledge and understanding? Rebu- rebuke. Correction, encouragement. Come on. It's all in there. Because it's God's word that's doing the work. See, we're, the truth is if a pastor is doing his job and just being an echo of the Bible, the pastor ain't rebuking you. God's using that leadership to bring that word forth. But really, who is? God is. Because it's his word that does the rebuke. 1B, one must learn, and, and rebuke again, just very clear for people online. Rebuke doesn't mean to beat you up or knock you down or make you feel belittled. If that's what's going on, obviously you're not being rebuked properly. Now, wait a minute, but when you're rebuked or a wrong is revealed, do you feel good about it? No. No, but they're not beating you up and saying, no, you're worthless. They're saying, hey, listen, so maybe you're not doing this right, but here's what God says you can do to correct it. See, that's where a pastor's gifted to bring knowledge and understanding. When knowledge of the word comes, 
in context of something you're not doing right in relationship to your life, guess what is, is involved with that knowledge? Rebuke and correction. But understanding means here's how you change it. Amen. We don't just tell you, well, don't do this. Well, here's what you do to correct it. That's what pastors are gifted to do. 1B, one must learn that you do not quit. You do not quit even though you may want to. I'm going to tell you what, I've had times I've wanted to quit as a pastor. Are you listening? But you don't quit just because you want to. Come on, somebody. It is pride, rebellion, and hurt that cause you to hold a grudge and run from those who rebuke you. I'll quote that again in case you missed it the first time. It's pride. Don't think about anybody else but yourself because you'd be thinking about the people right now that left the church. Don't be thinking that way. It is pride, it is rebellion, and it is hurt that causes you to hold a grudge and run from those who rebuke you. Are you listening? And pride comes before a fall, folks. Ecclesiastes, right after the book of Proverbs, another Old Testament book that is just filled with wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. So if you go to Proverbs, right after Proverbs is the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at a couple verses here. Ecclesiastes 10.4 is the first verse we're going to look at. Ecclesiastes 10.4. So in number two on your notes, you must also then what? Make a commitment to Jesus. So number one, again, a sign of a true Christ-like humility is I'm not going to quit when I get rebuked. So number two, I must then make what? A commitment to Jesus. Not to me, your pastor. You're not going to give account to me. You got to make a commitment to Jesus that you will not leave your post if your leader rebukes you. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you. Now again, this phrase, rises against you, the spirit of the ruler, it's not talking about the ruler coming against you. It's about the fact God's using that very ruler by his spirit to deal with things that you aren't doing right. In the context of the Old Testament, he did that through the context of the prophets of their day by speaking through the prophets to the children of Israel. Well, he did that by their, through their spirit, man, through the Holy Spirit. Again, the spirit of the ruler, if he rises against you, notice this, do not leave your post, underline it. Do not leave your post. Yeah, but I don't like what the pastor said. Do not leave your post. Yeah, but he was talking directly to me. Do not, if you want to win... Do not leave your post. It is sad to see how many believers in the history of 2,000 years of the church have left their post. There's a, there, there's a whole bunch of them written about in the book of Acts. Look at all the people that left their post in the book of Acts who started off well and then left the leaders that God had them called to. So it's obviously that it's not something new. It's happened for all the, con- the time of the ages of the, of the history of the earth, even back into the Old Testament. I'm going to read it again. If the spirit of the ruler, the reason it's referencing spirits, because it's not coming from then. It's coming from God. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, again, say it out loud with me. Do not leave your post. For conciliation pacifies 
great offenses. Conciliation here means that you don't get all rattled and upset and mad. You stay calm about the matter. The context of the Hebrew word in this setting is referring to staying calm about the matter. And that will help pacify anything by which you're feeling offended over. But if you don't stay calm and allow your flesh to overtake you and overrule you, guess what you're going to... How many understand this? I've taught you this many times. When God brings correction, when God brings correction, will a part of you be offended? I'll put it that way. Yes, it will. Your flesh will because your flesh don't like it. Your flesh is totally enmity against God, the Bible says. The flesh wants nothing to do with God. Nothing. It's totally opposed to it. So when correction comes, guess what rises up and doesn't like it? The flesh does it. You do get offended. But as a spirit being, you don't want to take that offense. How do you take that offense? You pull away. You leave your post. I don't even want to imagine how many Christians are going to stand before Jesus, thankfully make heaven, but they're going to stand before Jesus. Jesus is going to say, why'd you leave your post? Pastor Darrell, were they called to you? Yes, sir. Were you to watch over their soul? Yes, sir. Did you preach the word to them? Best I knew how. I have a record. You did. Why would you leave your post? It's called the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to go there. Come on, somebody. Now, if you're not called to me, you go find the pastor you're called to. But the point I'm making is when God, the Bible says this in the book of Corinthians, God puts us in the body where he wants. Wait a minute. How about we got to decide where we want to go to church? No. God decides. Well, how do you know God decided? It bears witness with your spirit. How will you know that when you first come? Because after you've been here a while, you're going to get rebuked. So after you've been here a while, all of a sudden, the pastor who was once this great pastor who I've never heard these truths from before, which are not mine, they're the Bible. He just gifted me to help you understand them. But this pastor who's helped me have my eyes open to so many things before becomes the dirty dog. I'm going to tell you why. Because you allowed offense to come and you would not receive correction and rebuke. And because you wouldn't, you ran off and left your post. But if you maintain a calmness about you, You'll get over the offense of your flesh and you'll be the better for it. Any good amens on that. So number two, again, you got to make this commitment to who Jesus that you're not going to leave your post when your leader rebukes you. You're not going to be in a church that teaches the Bible and not get a rebuke through what's taught. Because if, if that's true, then you're not a son. Because whom the Lord loves, he chases. 2a this verse also tells us that we have to stay calm because a calm spirit will calm the whole matter and not allow your flesh to get so offended that you're going to uproot and go somewhere you shouldn't ecclesiastes 10 10 you ever thought about this people who get offended here and go somewhere else if they go where the word's taught and obviously very well preached you think they're going to stay there very long same thing's going to happen and a lot of times these people just become a problem going somewhere else Ecclesiastes 10, 10.10, if the axe is dull. Anybody ever heard, ever done any splitting of wood before? Let me see your hand. Have you ever split any wood? Yeah. Wow. Check out all the wood splitters. Lift them up high. Look at this, man. Look at all these people. Wow. I know who to go to if I need wood split now. Oh, don't push your hand down. What are you pulling your hand down for? I thought you liked helping your pastor. Wow. At one time, man... Uh, when, when I was still early on in my pastoring years to help Kathy and me out, uh, both financially as well as for Christmas time, we, I'd, I'd, split, I'd sell firewood. 
I'd go out and cut wood. We'd go out to these, you know, neighborhoods where they're building the new homes and cutting down all the trees, right? And they'd let us come in and cut them up and haul them off because then they had to pay to have somebody haul them off. And we'd haul them off. We'd take them to uh, our property, you know, where we had a place set up to actually get it all ready and split it and all that, you know, when the cold weather would hit. I'll tell you what, man, the very time that the first actual cold weather hits, if it's a Friday or Saturday, you're talking gold mine day. You better have all the wood on you you can because you'll sell out every time. People aren't prepared. They're driving home from work. They got their paycheck. It's Friday or Saturday. Cold front hits. They got a fireplace at home. And here you are sitting alongside the road selling stacks of wood. Man, you can sell them babies all day long for 20 bucks. I mean, just left and right, left and right. A lot of work to get them ready. You know, a lot of people might think that 20 bucks is a lot. Go do it yourself. Go cut all that wood. The time, see, people don't think about it. You got to cut the logs up. You got to load them in your vehicle. Got to haul them somewhere. Got to unload them. Then you got to take time to split them. Then you got to take time to stack them. Then you got to take time to put them in your trailer. Haul them to the lot where you're going to sell them. Put them out there and then sell them. Now, listen, I loved it, too, because the great, great part about being a believer, you know, we'd see some mama, you know, with the little kid in the car or something like that, you know, single mom or something, and she wouldn't be, tra- she'd say, oh, 20 bucks, okay, no problem. Let me, and she'd be getting chains out and stuff. We'd say, no, man, not only will we give you a stack, we'll give you two. God bless you. Go home and start your fire. Praise God. Because I wasn't just there to win, uh, to make money, obviously. I'm there to be a witness everywhere I go. But it was a blessing to us. So I've done this. Again, notice the verse. If the axe is dull, and I've had a dull axe before trying to split wood. And notice, one does not sharpen the edge. Guess what he's going to have to do? Rest of the verse. He must do what? Use more strength. But wisdom brings what? Wisdom would say what? Take the time to get that axe sharp, and you won't have to use as much strength. You listening? The duller the axe, the more strength you're going to have to use. Now, this isn't telling you this so you could understand how to go split wood this winter and sell it. You listening? He's trying to give us a truth here of wisdom out of Ecclesiastes for our life. If that, if that axe is dull, the harder it's going to be, the more effort you personally are going to have to put forth to get that axe to split that wood. But if you keep that, that axe head sharp, less strength from you. And guess what? The axe head does far more of the work. So notice this on your notes. Number three, you must realize that a dull axe takes a lot more strength. A lot more strength. A lot more of you personally having to give out of your own strength and effort. 3A, remember that it is iron that sharpens iron. It's iron that sharpens iron. Where do I get the sharpest as a believer? This is why church is so imperative in the last days. Because if you come to God's house... And you come with a heart to want to know God and draw closer to Him and enjoy His presence and fellowship with one another and love receiving the Word and love receiving the ministry God has and worship in God. And you get everything out of it you can. You know what's happening right now? You're being sharpened. You're being sharpened. God's using another believer to sharpen you, believer. Iron sharpens iron. Amen. 3A1, notice this, if you stay a fragile little baby and allow no one to speak into your life, you'll never make it. You'll never make it in success as a believer on the planet. Satan will win. Satan will, you'll give up. You'll give up. You'll quit. And that's the problem because a lot of people today, boy, are we not living in an entitlement society today? Right? People want everything given to them. They don't want to work for anything. Well, I guarantee you what? Those same people want everything given to them. They certainly don't want you correcting them. They just want you to give stuff to them. 
3B, getting close to people stronger and more spiritual than you will constantly sharpen and hone you. Think about that. If you will get close to people stronger spiritually than you, they will constantly sharpen and hone you and you them. See, if you are, notice this, if you are using a lot of effort and getting little results in your walk with God, if you're using a lot of effort and getting little results, then you should either consider, consider spending more time with your leaders, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. You should consider spending more time with your leaders, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's how you stay sharp. And if you're not, you have to put out a whole lot more effort and get far less results. Any amens on that? D, you cannot lean on yesterday's keenness or another way to say that sharpness. So if I was sharp yesterday, I can't lean on that. I got to stay sharp today because I got to keep using the axe. You got to keep using the spiritual things you've been given, obviously to overcome in this life and to do what God's desired for you to walk out for your life. Notice if you're splitting wood with an axe and you slip even one time, you'll dull your axe. So that means if you're walking this Christianity out and all of a sudden you miss the mark and you sin, guess what you do? You dull the axe a little bit. How many of you know this in context of, if you're, if you're using an axe, what do you want to do? You want to have that piece of wood that you're chopping set up on another piece of wood. Because right. if it's on the ground, every time you get through that wood and split that wood and hit the ground, guess what the ground does? It begins to dull that axe. Right. How many of you know where you store an axe to keep it sharp? You obviously you need to set it you know, properly somewhere, but if you're going to put it somewhere, you can actually put it in a chunk of wood, chunk, And it'll stay sharp because it's not obviously getting uh, beaten into the ground. So even if you miss once in a while and you're going to dull your axe, you can still get it resharpened. Thank God. I said, thank God. D1, the only thing left to do then is to find what? You got to find a grinder. You start getting that axe dull, you got to find a grinder to get it sharpened again. D2, even if you do miss, uh, do not miss the mark, you'll just dull the axe by uh, much use. Right? I mean, eventually, even hitting the wood, it's going to start dulling some. I mean, that was one of the things that I really didn't like doing is having to take the time to go and sharpen that axe. But after I got so worried of that dull axe really making it work hard for, making it hard for me to work, I would finally get, you know, uh, beyond my laziness of not wanting to go sharpen that axe, thinking I'm wasting time, I need to get, axe, you know, get more wood split, and then I would actually go and get it sharpened. Then we got really smart and went and started renting a hydraulic uh, splitter. That's a good way to go right there. I'm going to tell you right now. Number three, you will get dull yourself if you don't stay close to those who lead you. Powerful truth. Powerful truth. That's why you need leadership because they're part of what God's doing through rebuke and correction to keep you sharp. You will get dull yourself if you don't stay close to those who lead you. Notice this, mature you and speak into your life. The less church, I will promise you, I, I sadly have to report this. Go to Galatians 6, 9. I sadly have to report this as a pastor. I watch it all the time. I see people whose faith is very weak, who, who constantly seem to struggle with the same things in life. They, they always seem to battle with the same things that depress them, frustrate them, upset them. On and on I could go. Over and over. And they just never seem to mature beyond all of that. They just keep cycling through the same things constantly time and again. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because they won't stay here and get sharpened. They'll show up occasionally when they feel like it once in a while. 
and yet they continue to face battles and stuff that they can't seem to walk through or overcome without having to put forth a lot of effort to try to do so. And I'm going to tell you why. They're dull. They're dull spiritually. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, understand this. The fact you're in a battle does not mean you're dull. Because you live in a war zone. I said you live in a war zone. I'm going to say it now and bring it back up and again in another verse in just a minute. I love this powerful statement by Dr. Barclay. Just because you haven't obtained the victory doesn't mean you've been defeated and doesn't mean God's not, uh, not, God's not at work on your behalf. That's right. The fact that you're still in warfare, you ready for this, means I'm not defeated yet. Because right. if you're not in warfare anymore, you're defeated. Right. You've been overcome. The fact I'm still in the battle shows I am, I, guess what? I am still on the winning side. I ain't quit yet. And I'm not going to. So the very fact that you're in the battle does not mean you've lost. It means, guess what? You're still moving forward and you're still winning. Jesus' name. When do you lose? When you quit. Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6. Number 4 in your notes. One of the major reasons that people faint or quit is that they allow their attitudes. Their attitudes, circle that word, to discourage them. Look at Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good. Don't grow weary while doing good. Doing good means you're in God's house. means you are doing what God said. And you keep walking with God. Notice, for in due season, we shall reap if we don't what? If we don't what? Lose heart. Read it again. Let us not grow weary while doing good. What's a thing that causes Christians to go weary? Bad attitude. Bad attitude. Bad attitude about everything. Take a bad attitude about your job. You'll grow weary of your job. Come on. Get a bad attitude about going to church. You'll grow weary of going to church. Get a bad attitude about God. You'll grow weary of going to God. And you'll faint. You'll lose heart. Take a bad attitude about your marriage and you'll go weary with your marriage. You listening? Attitude affects so much of your life it isn't even funny. Even, it's so significant to understand. Notice this 4A on the back of your notes. We are not to grow weary in well-doing. B, most people quit right before the promises manifest. I, you know, it'd be amazing to see in light of eternity how many people were right on the border of their breakthrough in this life and they quit. They quit. They gave up. See, God says... That we will reap in his timing or in due season if we just don't what? Therefore, D, underline it, circle, highlight it, put notes around it, or point arrows to it. As with your attitude, so goes your life. I'm preaching to me right here as much as you because I allow too many things to affect me with a wrong attitude. And the more I see that, the more I start saying, no, why am I allowing this to get me in such a bad attitude? Because all that's going to do is hinder me from walking out what God wants for my life. I said I'm preaching to me. You didn't. You could amen your pastor. Preaching to your pastor. E, if you discourage yourself, and many do, if you discourage yourself with wrong thoughts, wrong words, you're going to eventually quit. That's why you got to guard, obviously, number F, what you're dealing with in relationship to your mouth, your heart, your mind. Meditate on the Word of God day and night. Be sure that you're guarding your heart, your mind, and your mouth. Because if you don't, you're going you're gonna to back to E, you're going to discourage yourself with wrong thoughts and wrong words. 
And if you do that, you're going to quit fairly easily. Psalm 1, tell your neighbor, I don't know about you, but I'm being helped tonight. Psalm 1, can't speak for them, but you can speak for yourself. I, I like these verses here. Psalm 1, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Number 5 on your notes, you must learn, you must learn fast that you act, uh, excuse me, you must learn fast that you act like those you are around the most. You must learn fast that you act like those you're around the most. And you sound like those that you listen to. Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So if I'm not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, this is, this is a huge, deep revelation right here. Watch how deep this revelation is. If I'm not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, what am I not doing? I can't hear you. What am I not doing? I'm not what? I'm not listening to them. It's that simple. Isn't that a really deep revelation? Don't listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Don't, excuse me. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. How do I not walk in the counsel of the ungodly? I don't listen to them. I don't listen to ungodly counsel. How hard is that to figure out? Pretty simple. Nor what stands... Now, this person is blessed. Remember, he's blessed if he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He's blessed if he doesn't stand in the path of sinners. So how do I not stand in the path of sinners? I don't hang out with sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the... Remember, this is a blessed person. How do I sit in the seat of the scornful? Think about a seat. How do I sit in the seat of the scornful? I say the same thing that scornful people say. Thank you. Gossip. Where did I get it from? Listening to them. You're going to sit in the same... How do I sit? So, come help me, Maverick. Come on, real quick. Come here, help me. Sit right up here up front. You've been wanting to help me. Sit down right there. All right? Now, don't get mad at me, okay? All right. You promise not to get mad at your pastor. I'm going to hold you to it. You listening? You're on a recording right now. Are you going to get mad at your pastor? No. All right. He's not going to get mad at his pastor. So let's say Maverick's a gossiper and he's gossiping about everybody else in the church, saying things about him to run him down, right? How would I sit in the seat of the scornful? I'm going to come sit in the seat next to the scornful. Guess what the scornful is going to do? They're going to gossip. Guess what he's going to fill my ears with? Guess what I'm going to start doing? Same thing. Say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. All right. Praise God. Thank you. That's how you sit in the seat of the scornful. You get around somebody who's a gossiper, a slanderer, and you listen to it. You're sitting in that seat with them because guess what you're going to wind up start doing? You're going to start doing the same thing. And you know what? The gossiper, you ready for this? The gossiper and the slanderer will think that you are all high and mighty because you won't sit and listen to them. That you think you're so much better than them. No, whoa, no. I'm no, I'm no better than you at all. Right. I'm just not going to participate in slander and gossip. Right. I'm not going to listen to it. Because if I listen to it, you know what I'm going to wind up doing? I'm going to get in it. Right. I'm going to get involved. I've done it. You know, has anybody besides me ever done that? See, you got to say, listen, it ain't me high and mighty and better than you. It ain't because I don't love you. 
You know what? Guess what? I really do love you, and because I love you, I'm not going to sit here and let you keep on hurting your life by slandering to me. Now, you might hurt your life by going and doing it to somebody else. But if I sit here and give you an ear to gossip to, I'm not just hurting me. I'm allowing you to hurt yourself because you gossip, and God hates gossipers. Let me give you his word for it. It's an abomination to him. He doesn't hate the gossiper. He hates the gossip. I want to clarify that. He don't hate anybody. Let me understand he loves every single person that's in hell. He's love. He loves the world. Jesus died for the world, even those that are in hell who rejected him. He doesn't stop loving them. He don't know how. He is love itself. Can I get a better amen? So you got to realize this. It's critical to know this in Psalm 1. You got to make sure you're not what? Walking in the counsel of the ungodly. How do I do that? How do I not walk in the counsel of the ungodly? Hey, some of you are getting it. Praise God. We're learning a few things tonight. I don't listen to the ungodly counsel. I don't take it, right? I'm not looking for it. How do you get ungodly counsel? Listen to people you shouldn't get counsel from, right? I don't stand in the path of a sinner. How do I not do that? Tell me again, Becky. Don't hang out with sinners. Number three, I'm not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. Maverick, how do we not sit in the seat of the scornful? We don't listen to gossipers. We don't go sit next to them and have conversations with them. You listening? What do you say? Hey, see these right here? I love Pastor. Pastor Barclay's reference. See these right Everybody grab your ears like this. Grab your ears. Come on. Point. Turn to somebody close by you and just wiggle your ears at them like this. And say, see these right here? Say this. They're not garbage cans. No. What, what is slander? It's garbage. It's garbage. Well, what if it's true? Well, number one, you don't know if it is or not. And number two, even if it was, and the purpose is obviously to say something about them without them being there, the purpose is to cause harm. Are you still here? So understand, you're not to sit in the seat of the scornful. This person's blessed who doesn't. Three, two, excuse me, verse two. But his delight is in what? What's his delight in? Law of the Lord. And what does he do in that law? That law is his teachings. He meditates day and night in those teachings. This person will be blessed. God help us to understand we're going to be far more blessed in life if we would learn to meditate in your teachings day and night. You said so. You said so. Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does shall what? Wow. Whatever he does shall what? That word means succeed. You're going to succeed. So, again, number five on your notes, you got to learn fast that you, gotta, that, that, that you act like those who you're around the most and you sound like those who you listen to. 5A, you must pay attention to whom your friends are and whom you listen to, period. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Tell your neighbor, no garbage coming out of this mouth of mine. Proverbs 23. Because we don't also want to be the ones, you know, pitching the garbage around. Proverbs 23. Number six, what you meditate on, therefore, as he told us that we should, what you, on the Word of God, what you meditate on is what you will think of internally. That's powerful. See, this is how the Word gets rooted in you. Good or bad. Any word. But this is how the Word of God gets in you. A lot of Christians don't have it in them because they're not meditating on it. What you meditate on is what you, notice this, what you meditate on is what you will think internally. And that is the opinion that you will have of yourself. 
Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart. Now this phrase, as I was talking about this last weekend, the phrase heart here is not your spirit man. The phrase heart here is referring to the center part of your soulish being as it relates to you as an individual in the context of the soul, mind, will, and emotions. As he thinks in that realm of his life, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. In other words, a person can think of themselves in one way, tell you something totally opposite. Notice verse 8. The morsel that you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. What you take in to your inner being, guess what? You're going to vomit up, just you're going to speak it. You're going to say that. And when you say that, guess what? If it, obviously you're not thinking of relationship to yourself in relationship to the Bible as good words, you're going to be spitting up unpleasant words. You'll waste your pleasant words. All right? So on your notes there, again, number six, what you meditate on is what you will think internally. And that is the opinion that you will have of yourself. 2 Thessalonians 2, and the sad part about it is, if you're not meditating on the Word, guess what you're not going to think about yourself? What God says is true. You're going to be believing lies. Stuff that isn't true about you. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You better stop, quote unquote, Constantly speaking to yourself contrary to the Word of God. You better stop doing this. Because all you're going to do is keep allowing the enemy to take advantage of your life. Words out of your mouth should line up with who God says you are based on the spirit of, of, of the new spirit man that's on the inside of you. That's who you should say you are all the time. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, say, I'm looking forward to that. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. Our what? Gathering together. Catching away. Catching away to Him. This is talking about the rapture. Notice this. Our gathering together to Him. We ask, we ask you too not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Underline that. He is talking about the rapture, but notice what He's referring to as it relates to us until that time comes. Until the time that Jesus comes back, he says in verse 2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Many are. We should not be. You should not be shaken in mind or troubled based on the elections. You should never be shaken in mind or troubled based on elections. It doesn't change your God. Doesn't change your God. Michigan, whether... Uh, you know, whether there's still issues with the voting going on or not. If not, and probably not, from what I know a pastor, he's told me about a lot of people in Michigan, very liberal, have voted in a gal who basically had them totally, completely under dictatorial rule during COVID. For a long time, they couldn't go out, period. And then when they finally allowed them to go out of their home, they said, you can go to the store, but you can't buy, you can only buy what we tell you you can buy in America. You can look at it, it's right there on the shelf, but you can't buy it. I'm, gonna, I'm your governor, I'm going to tell you what, what you can buy, what you can't buy. Whitmer, she got reelected. So you, I love what Don Barclay said this morning. Doesn't change my God, I'm not moving, I'm staying right where God planted me, I'm right where I belong, God is still God. And He is. 
A lot of people get, you, look at all the people that I saw shaken in mind because of the elections, all upset because things didn't go their way. What if, what if Beto would have got elected? It doesn't change God, doesn't change who he is, doesn't change what he can do. Thank you for all your amends about that. But it's a fact. It's a fact. You're going to get shaken and troubled in mind because of what goes on in the earth? You're living in the darkest of the last days. What do you expect to happen? I'm not telling you we don't do our part. We should pray. We should vote. We should do these things. But I'll guarantee you not everything is going to go the way you want it to. Has anybody ever figured that out yet? So that's what he's trying to tell you. Before the Lord returns, guess what you got to do? Verse 2. You got to guard against being shaken so easily in mind or troubled. Either by spirit, by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, I told you this, and I'll give you this little nugget again. This is powerful. Thank you, Dr. Hicks. I never knew this until I heard this teaching the other day. So, verse 3, we all think that's referred... The word, the, the word falling away here in the Greek is apostasy. Uh, it's, it's the word for apostasy. The Greek is like apostasio or apostasy, something like that. I'm sorry, I'm not a Greek scholar. But the word is apostasy. And it's what we get the term of apostasy of great falling away. But you know, if you look the word up, if you look the Greek word up... I did not know this until I heard this from Dr. Hicks the other day. To get a true understanding of the form of a noun... Of a, of a Greek word, you have to go look at the verb. The verb will help you understand the noun. And the verb form of this word refers to a catching up, a gathering away. It doesn't refer to a falling away from God. It actually refers to a falling away from the earth and a gathering to God. In the context of these verses, it makes perfect sense. Because verse 1 says, concerning our gathering together to Him. Are what? Gathering together to him. Verse 3 says, You should not be deceived before that day comes, because notice this, until this falling away comes first, notice, the man of sin can't be revealed. What's holding back the revealing of the man of sin? The church is. Not the church falling away into sin. What's holding back the revealing of the Antichrist? The true church. The, the, the literal phrase here, falling away, literally is referring back to that gathering. We're going to be gathered to God, and when we're gathered to God, the man of sin will be revealed. Are you listening? Isn't it amazing how, how wrong that verse has been interpreted all these years? Although Jesus does talk about, and that's why a lot of people uh, obviously said that it says that, Jesus said the love of many would grow cold. We know without a doubt in the last days before the return of Jesus, yes, many believers will fall back. But it's not an apostasy of this verse because apostasy here refers to a gathering too. Hallelujah. We're falling away from the earth. We're gathering to our Jesus. Any good amens on that? Verse 2 is our focus. Before this return of Jesus, don't be soon shaken. Soon shaken means you're shaken easily. Doesn't take much of anything to get you shaken. Don't be. This is, this is the word to me and you. Not, do not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by anything that comes through a spirit or by, the, by a word or by letter as if from us. So look at your notes there. You still with me? Yes. Number seven, the Bible teaches us that we are to be what? Steady-minded. 
Steady-minded means we're not going to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. A, do not be shaken in mind or troubled. B, do not let a spirit, your spirit, attitude, or anyone's words trouble you. So the phrase of the Spirit's referring to your attitude here. Don't let the aspect of your attitude or anyone's words trouble you. Could I get a better amen on that? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, come on, we're almost done. Two more verses, man, and you made it through. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, going to look at verse 12. 8, 12, if there, notice this, for if there is first a willing mind, underline it, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not, what he does not have. What's this referring to? He was talking about taking an offering. He was talking about taking an offering for the people in Jerusalem. And he was telling the Corinthian church, you said a long time ago you wanted to get in on this and help out. So the time has come. If you have a willing mind, a willingness to do this, a desire to do it for the right reasons, then guess what? There has to be a fulfillment of what you said you wanted to do. The phrase that we're looking at in this verse that's helping us is to have a willing mind. It doesn't matter if it's an offering. It doesn't matter if it's going to church. It doesn't matter if it's reading your Bible. He's talking about taking an offering that's biblical. Anything that we should obviously have given to us from the word of something we should do, here comes the question. Are you doing it with a willing mind? Makes all the difference. Watch this, number eight. One of the major components... Major components of steadfastness is a willing mind. If you want to stay steadfast and not faint and fall away, you need to have what? A willing mind. 8a, if you're doing things unwillingly, then you're robbing your own joy. Do you get that? If you do things unwillingly, guess what you're doing? You're robbing your own joy. Even stuff around your home. Even stuff with your job. Well, I'm not real happy about what they want me to do on my job. Here's what you should do. You should say, I'm glad I have a job to do. And therefore, I'm going to do it willingly because I'm just glad I get to work. Can I get a better amen? Otherwise, you're just going to rob yourself of joy. Sooner or later, your leader will have to then do what? Push you to do them. Do what you're supposed to do. 8B, things that you are willing to do are far more fun. And you'll be more enthused about doing them. You should be willing to come to church. You should not feel like you have to. You should be willing to. You should want to. I mean, you know, Isaiah 1 says, if you're willing and obedient, 18, you'll eat the good of the land. Not if you're disobedient, but if you're willing and obedient. H.C., it's always amazing, Dr. Barclay said to me, that a young person will seem totally worn out at work. But once they're out of work and ready to play, they resurrect. Maybe not older people, but you know, younger people, it's amazing how tired they are at work. And all of a sudden they get off work. It's like, woo, glory. Especially when they're in the world, right? Time to go get your red dress on, baby. Come on. And it's just now 10 o'clock at night. And they're going to be up till 1, 2, 3 in the morning. Been there, done that. You listening? But you and I obviously shouldn't be doing that. You and I should be very willing to do whatever God wants us to do. The point he's making is, it's amazing how young people can seem so tired and wore out at work, but once work is done, now all of a sudden they got all this energy. I'm going to tell you why. Bad attitude at work. If they would take a willing attitude at work, it'd change their whole view of work, make work a whole lot easier. Colossians 3 in closing. Colossians 3. Verses 1 and 2, we've looked at these before. 
If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. If you want to truly walk out this last day without fainting and growing weak, you got to learn to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Number nine, believers who set their affections on heavenly things, guess what? They're going to be stronger and stronger. That's an absolute. You can't set your mind on things above and not come out stronger. Because heaven's going to help you to do so. Amen. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.